Well, greyhound dog racing is actually a very popular sport in some parts of the country. It attracts crowds of people who enjoy watching the sleek, beautiful dogs run as fast as they can around the track. And uh, because greyhound dogs obviously don't have jockeys to make them run the race like horses, what they do is they train the dogs to chase a mechanical rabbit, that furry bunny-looking thing that's pulled on a zip line around the track in front of them, and it's set so that they can never quite catch it, but they can get close, and it keeps them moving at a good rate. Well, a few years ago at a Florida dog track, the dogs were just getting ready to, to go, and spectators were placing bets, but when the starting gun fired and the doors to the little stalls flapped open, the dogs uh, set out in pursuit of this mechanical rabbit, but once it rounded the first turn, something went wrong. There was a short, an electrical short, and the rabbit exploded, um, <laughs> burst into flames, and there was nothing left on the wire but a little bit of black fuzz. So the dogs, without the rabbit, they didn't really know what to do. And so a number of them just stopped racing and laid down. A few of them kept running. A couple got so confused they ran into a wall. One started chasing its tail, and and the rest of them just started uh, kind of barking and howling at all of the fans in the crowd. And not one dog actually finished the race. There's no winner. Well, like greyhounds, people pursue their own chosen rabbits in this life. You know, we need something in front of us to live for, a goal, a purpose. We need hope. Sadly, a lot of people put their hope in things like those mechanical rabbits that ultimately don't offer any hope at all. You see, even if the dog somehow managed to catch the rabbit, which was impossible, it wasn't actually a rabbit. And so did not hold the hope that they were looking for. Well, when it comes to Christmas, I think most of us come to this season with some some wants. Sometimes we have some big wants and we even maybe make a list of of Christmas gifts. I'm often asked to do that because apparently I'm hard to buy for is what I understand. But, you know, besides these lists of things that we want, a lot of other times we have a different list. It's a list in our heart of deeper things, of real needs, of real hopes that we may be have, maybe have. And, and our series of messages for the Advent Christmas season this year is called All I Want for Christmas. And, you know, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. All I want for Christmas is you. That phrase, all I want for Christmas, is kind of iconic in our our culture. And I think that one of the reasons that it is iconic is that it taps into the human heart. That in our hearts we have great longings for all kinds of things. And I think many people have lifted prayers to God that began with, Lord, all I want for Christmas is... And they laid out those prayers. Now, those prayers kind of run the gamut. But along the way, that phrase actually kind of runs into some confusion that we sometimes have between wants and needs and and where God falls in the midst of that. So with this series, we're going to be walking through the Advent and Christmas season, focusing on the fact that God's desire is not to fulfill all of our wants, but his desire is to meet the true needs of our hearts, 
So this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of Mary and how it speaks to one of the greatest needs of our hearts, and that need is for hope. So pray with me, friends. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak this morning through a story thousands of years old that still, Lord, contains powerful truth for us. We pray that you'd speak a word of hope to us this day, in this season, for our lives, for our church, for our world. Speak this word of hope through the story of Mary and the angel. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our main passage for today is Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. It's the story of Mary. Uh, If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along there, again, Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. It's also on your song sheets. So Luke writes this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Luke, the author of our passage, begins in verse 26, and and he begins by giving us some details that kind of set the scene, the stage here. He mentions that in the passage just before this, the angel Gabriel had appeared to a man named Zechariah, and he had told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to bear a child, and she had not been able to for quite some time, so that was a great blessing. And that child would grow to be John the Baptist. Well, now, with verse 26, Luke says six months have passed since that time, and the angel Gabriel is on the move again. He has a new assignment in the town of Nazareth. And in verse 27, we find that Gabriel has been sent to a virgin named Mary, and she is pledged to a man named Joseph, whom we're told is a descendant of the great King David. Now, it's important to know that in those days, marriages were arranged. The two families would come together, they would actually sign an agreement, and then the two would be pledged or betrothed, and they would spend about a year getting to know each other and planning for their wedding. And this period of being pledged or betrothed was considered the first phase of marriage. And so when their wedding day finally came, they would enter into that second phase. Now, we're told here that Mary is a virgin, which uh, was normal for the time, partly because the typical age for girls to be married was about 13 at that time, and, and also because it was a pretty strong custom at the time. And so Mary was probably about 13, and that seems awfully young to us, but that was really pretty much how things worked back in that day. 
With verse 28, the angel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And as you can imagine, Mary's shocked by this. Uh, Verse 29 says she was greatly troubled. Most of the time when angels appear to people in the Bible, they actually are terrified. And the most common first line of angels because of that is, do not be afraid. That's almost always what they say. And the angel here, sensing that Mary is worried, says that line, do not be afraid. And then he repeats something that she's found favor with God. Now, the idea that Mary had found favor with God, it doesn't mean that Mary had some kind of special holiness, that God looked down at the world and saw, you know, that she was somehow different than everybody else, more holy than everyone. It doesn't mean that. She had faith, but Mary was really just a regular person, a regular person that God had chosen to do something special. God didn't choose her because he favored her more than other people. He chose her, and because of that, she received his favor in a special way, to carry out what he had chosen her for. And Gabriel, the angel, also says that God is with her, meaning that God is going to be with her going forward into this thing that she's been called to. Now, the appearance of an angel would have been enough to shock anybody, and that would have been enough for Mary just to experience that blessing. But Gabriel then has a message for Mary that just blows her mind. Verse 31, he says that she's going to have a son, but not just any son. This is going to be a special child. And so Gabriel begins to explain that. The first thing he says is that his name will be Jesus. And the name Jesus literally means God saves or Savior. It's a, a nod to who Jesus is. And then he adds in verse 32 that Jesus will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. Verse 33, he continues and says that God will give Jesus the throne of his ancestor, David. Remember, we're told that his father, um, Joseph, was a descendant of King David. Well, Jesus is a descendant of King David. He will receive the throne of his father, David. Finally, the angel says that Jesus will reign forever and that his kingdom will never end. When you put all these Um, bits together that the angel has said about Jesus, it becomes very clear that the angel is saying that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Jesus is going to be this person that the prophets had spoken about hundreds of years ago, this person that they'd said God is going to one day send to renew the hearts of the people and very specifically to deliver them and to initiate God's kingdom here on earth. The problem was, though, that the Jews had focused their hope on a very earthly view, a very earthly idea of what the Messiah would be like. You see, they'd done something we often do. They'd confused their wants with their needs. So they thought the deliverance that the Messiah was supposed to bring would be that he would throw off the control of the Romans who were occupying their nation at the time because that's what they really wanted. And they couldn't see that what the Messiah, what Jesus really came to bring was deliverance from the trap of sin that we all fall into, something we really need. When they heard that the Messiah was going to initiate or establish God's kingdom, they thought that meant, well, he's going to restore the glory of Israel. 
After all, he's a descendant of David. He's going to make it great like it was when David was king because that's what they really wanted. And they missed what they really needed, which was that the Messiah was going to come and to initiate God's spiritual kingdom here in this world. And if you really listen to Gabriel's words, you can see how off they were because he says that Jesus will reign forever and his kingdom will know no end. Well, no human king reigns forever and every human earthly kingdom comes to an end. So Gabriel is clearly saying that Jesus is not going to be some earthly notion of a Messiah who is just a man. He's going to be God himself touching this world. You see, God didn't give them what they wanted. God gave them what they actually needed. And that was Jesus. I want us to take a look for a minute at our second scripture today, Titus 2, 11 through 14, because it says some key things about Jesus that I just want us to lift up today. So this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. He's talking about Jesus here. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness and to purify a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Did you notice how Paul refers to Jesus there? He calls him our blessed hope, among other things. He calls Jesus our great God and Savior. He names Jesus in these important and powerful ways. Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came to be our hope so that we could know God, know the truth of God, know what God is like that he loves that he forgives, that he wants everyone. Jesus is God's message to us in a person because that's really how we needed that message to come. We don't tend to respond that well to philosophies and spiritualities that are detached from people. And so God sent Jesus to be our hope right here, right now, and forever. And I think one of the greatest hopes of our hearts at times it can simply be that God would show up when we need him. I think a lot of people have prayed, all I want for Christmas, God, is for you to show up. And in Jesus, God has done that. And he's here. And Christmas reminds us of that every single year. Well, back to our main passage. The angel and this message were a lot to take in, and we can see Mary struggling with it. Verse 34, she's trying to understand, and it, it would have been enough, really. I mean, if, she, if the angel had just simply said to her, listen, Mary, you're going to conceive an ordinary child in the ordinary way, that probably would have been a big enough shock, but that's not what the angel says. And so Mary asks, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Mary could see that Gabriel was saying this was no ordinary child and he would not be conceived in an ordinary way. This was a special child who had been conceived in a special way. And with verse 35, 
Gabriel explains how this is going to happen. He says the Holy Spirit will come on her. The power of the Most High will overshadow her. These are traditional words used in the Bible of God's powerful presence resting on someone. That will rest on Mary and she will bear a child. This was the special thing that God had chosen her for. But as we think about this, we have to be really clear about the implications of this for Mary. Because although she's pledged, she has not had her wedding day yet. And so there is no acceptable reason why she should be pregnant at this time. What was Joseph going to think? What was Joseph going to do? Was Joseph really going to believe some crazy story about an angel? Or would he think that she'd been unfaithful? Now, because being pledged was considered part of marriage... If she'd been unfaithful, that would make her an adulterer. And adultery in that time was punishable by stoning to death. And even though, honestly, they didn't actually do that very often, the reality was the stigma of that charge would bring shame on her for the rest of her life. Mary's life had taken a very unexpected and scary turn. What Mary was dealing with, though, was a call from God It was scary at first, but it was going to turn out to be a good thing. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Something happens that seems bad or scary, and it, it takes another turn, and it turns out to be something good. But other times, it's not like that. Other times, hard things happen, and they're just hard. And we have to find a way forward somehow through tough days. And we know what that's like to lose someone that we love, to have a relationship break up and end, to have a health scare or a financial crisis, to lose a job or a house. These things that can happen to us are so painful. And the question is, how do we move forward when things are hard? What's going to keep us going believing that we can make it and that there will be better days ahead. And I think we can see the answer right here in this passage in the words of the angel as he speaks to Mary. Because after explaining what's going to happen, he responds to Mary's question. Mary's question was, how can this be? And the angel responds with some amazing words. Verse 37, he says, For no word from God will ever fail, or it can also be translated like this, the older translation, nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel was saying, God is in control, Mary. You can put your hope in him and you won't be disappointed. Instead of letting all the pressures of the world dictate the course of her life and her path, which we so often do, we so often fall into that trap of letting the world shape us in its image. Mary doesn't do that. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She puts her hope in God and it carried her forward because it was true hope. And true hope is powerful. Years ago at UC Berkeley, uh, there was an experiment that was done on Norwegian field mice. And it was an experiment to see how they would respond under a a terrible circumstance. All these rats were placed in a a tub of water and they were forced to swim until they uh, became exhausted and finally drowned. But during the first experiment, the researchers discovered that the rats could swim for about seven hours before they drowned. 
but they did the experiment again, and they did something different. When the rats were uh, swimming and they, they seemed like they were getting exhausted, they would remove them for a couple of minutes, let them rest, and they would put them back into the water. And they found that when they did that, they were able to swim for 20 hours, more than double the amount of time. And they were puzzled. How, what, what was it about just being lifted out of the water for just a couple of quick minutes and put back in? And they came to the conclusion that the second group was able to swim so much longer because they had hope that experienced a rescue. And what kept them going was the hope that they might be rescued again. See, the first ones, they lost hope and they, they gave up. The second ones, they kept going. And you know, we're no different. True hope gives us a reason to live. It gives us power to move forward through hard times. But the problem that we've talked about is that so many people have a kind of a false hope. It's kind of like that mechanical rabbit. It's really actually kind of wishing for things that they want, that they think will make them happy and will carry them through life's hard times. Things like possessions and wealth and power and status and pleasure. These things all fall short in the end. And even when we get them, they just don't have the power to keep us afloat. So Pastor Eugene Peterson writes something very important. He says this. He says, It's essential to distinguish between hoping and wishing. They are not the same thing. Wishing is something all of us do. It projects what we want or think we need into the future. Just because we wish for something good or holy, we think it qualifies as hope. It does not. Wishing extends our ego into the future. Hope desires what God is going to do, and we don't know yet what that is. Wishing grows out of our ego. Hope grows out of faith. Hope is oriented to what God is doing. Wishing is oriented to what we are doing. Wishing has to do with what I want in things or people or God. Hope has to do with what God wants in me and in the world of things and people beyond me. Wishing is our will projected into the future. Hope is the will of God coming out in the future. It's powerful. I think just like us, Mary had a lot of wants. And I think if she'd been wishing, she'd have probably wished for a perfect wedding and to be the ideal Jewish wife and mother. She would not have wished to be pregnant on the day of her wedding or to live with the stigma of that all of her life. If Mary was wishing, if that was all that she had, I think the news of the angel would have crushed her. But because what Mary had was real hope, she was able to hear the words of the angel and to know that her life was going to take a major unforeseen turn that was even pretty scary for her in that moment. And yet she was still able to say in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be with me as you have said. Mary knew that God was in control and she trusted him. And that hope, the hope of the Lord, carried her forward and gave her not everything that she wanted, but it gave her what she truly needed. And you know, the hope that Mary had in God was really a foreshadow of the fullness of the hope that we have in Jesus. You see, Jesus came and he conquered death. 
the worst thing that this life can ever throw at us. And then he also came to bring us grace so that we could be forgiven when we blow it, when we sin, when we mess things up, when we hurt other people, when we hurt ourselves. And Jesus did these things for us so that we would know that whatever happens in this life, God will take care of us. We have that hope. But in order for us to take hold of that hope, that true hope, we need to be able to distinguish the difference between wishing and hope, and we need to be able to keep our wishing in check. You know, a passing wish is kind of a harmless thing, but wishing so easily becomes this selfish thing. It becomes about what we want, not what we need. It becomes about what we think we deserve. It becomes about us calling the shots. And wishing, and this is the most insidious thing, wishing so easily disguises itself as hope when in reality it is something painfully, painfully less. And we can start wishing and stop actually hoping and not even know it. So we need to realize that wishing for something doesn't mean that we're somehow entitled to it. We need to remember, frankly, that character often grows more from not getting what we want than it does from getting it. It's just so easy for us to slip into wishing disguised as hope. Hope for the perfect Christmas. Hope for the perfect family. Hope for our lives to be just the way we want them to be all the time. But that isn't hope at all. That's just a list of wishes of things that we want. So let's be careful not to let wishing take the place of true hope in our life. Our God is a God who has promised to be with us and to give us what we truly need, not everything we want. Our hope is based on trust in a God who sustains and empowers us even when we don't get what we want, even when life takes twists and turns and hard things happen. When we let wishing take the place of hope in our lives, we often do something else. We tend to confuse Jesus with Santa Claus. Santa Claus is great, by the way. But when life gets hard, when life gets really hard, we don't need Santa. We need a Savior, and we have one. Jesus is our Savior, and in him we have true hope. Amen. Pray with me, friends. Loving God, we pray that you would speak powerfully to our hearts, that we would see true hope in you, that we would be able to put aside wishing, which is just us projecting what we want somehow into the world, and begin, Lord, to make the basis of our lives and our hope you and what you want and what you're doing. Lord, help us to take hold of Jesus and the true hope we have in him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.